All right. Well, we're going to get going here. And today is really all about. So I don't know if you've noticed, but we've begun a series and the series is called the Ark of Democracy. And really, it's because democracy is an ark. It's an ark that really carries its way. And it's always seeking to go forward, although we do have to make sure it continues progressing for the benefit and equity and parity of all. So in this series, this is our first episode with our wonderful Gina Clayton Tarvin before we introduce her. And she's going to focus in talking with us on education and democracy. And so right now, as you all know, the last discussion we had a few discussions ago, we talked about Roe v. Wade being overturned. We talked about the privacy of our citizens in America being threatened by the current Supreme Court in its supermajority and how it's really beginning to invalidate itself by really putting forward all of these uh, statements and all of these orders and, and laying them down in the country that are really affecting everyone and are resulting in less uh, rights for our future future generation. We also see right now the immense amount of propaganda that is being perpetuated in the media. It is very, very strong what is being pushed out there, even the lies, the very blatant lies that are being said about the state of our country. Our president, Joe Biden, um, I just came from the DNC in uh, Washington, D.C., in Maryland, and I must tell you all, it was quite fabulous. I had the wonderful blessing and gift to meet and connect with our vice president, uh, Madam uh, Kamala Harris, as well as her husband, Doug Emhoff. And uh, we really, uh, the chair of the Democratic Party, Jamie Harrison, they are really trying hard to send this message, and I'm going to send it to you all. It is the message of hope. The message of hope that we must hold on to and how this November in the midterms, this is not just November, it is Rovember because it is going to be a referendum on taking the rights away from women that this Supreme Court has done. And we are going to have to come out strong, men and women. We need all of each other. And we are really trying to get out the vote to make sure that we come out successful. So we have to talk about hope, belief, not letting people become apathetic about what they see, not allowing our young ones to feel that their voices are not there. And currently, the Democratic Party of the entire country is working very hard to reach out to the young people between the age categories of 18 and 25. They are utilizing social media aggressively, understanding that is the vanguard to make sure that we get the media out on the positive and true messages to combat the negativity about what we're doing. So we really want to share a bit of that with you to get you excited to get you galvanized, to get you motivated, to know that what we are doing here with Truth and Democracy, we are not alone. We have so many in this country working so hard and so excited to be working side by side with them. So let's get to our guest today, Miss Gina Clayton Tarvin. Gina Clayton Tarvin is uh, in honey, besides being my awesome friend and an absolute queen, <laughs> she is in Huntington Beach, California with me. She is the Ocean View president of the um, Ocean View Unified School District. And she has been here in Huntington Beach serving for 
well over 20 years, correct, Gina? And she is currently running for the Huntington Beach City Council. And so certainly we want her to get on there. She is doing all the groundwork. You see her all over social media. She's connected, networked well. She has a long history, my friends, in politics, her family, herself. She knows what it's about, but more importantly, she is the voice that is out here, especially in Huntington Beach itself, willing to speak for the communities who are voiceless, willing to stand up and give them a shoulders to stand on in a place at the table. So I really, with all my heart and soul, with a lot of excitement in my, in my bones, I introduce to you Gina Clayton Tarvin of Huntington Beach, California. Gina, you have the floor. Oh my gosh, what a wonderful intro. Dom, thank you so much. Richard, thank you. Um, it is so wonderful to be here with all of you today. Yes, I'm broadcasting from sunny Huntington Beach. Um, it's cooled down a little bit this week in California, so we are getting a little bit of relief. Um, it has been a real scorcher for the last couple of weeks here, uh, but I'm so happy to be here with all of you today. Dom did mention that I am the president of the Ocean View School District, and I have been on the board for over a decade. And of that decade of service, the 10 years I've been on the board, I have been uh, blessed and honored to be the president of the board. And being the president of the board, oh, excuse me. Being the president of the board has really gotten me to uh, understand what it means to work in a democratic uh, small society, a small debate society. Our governance board is of five people. Uh, we're all elected by the people in a general election. And I'm typically on the presidential ballot. So I'm not up till 2024 for re-election, but three of my colleagues are up this time in the midterms. So three of us are on the ballot in the midterms and two are on the ballot at the presidential election. And what's so extraordinary about the Ocean View School District Board is it's a majority of Republicans and me, a Democrat, and they have elected me as their president five times. And I think what that does is it speaks to uh, the fact that we work well together because when your common interest is making sure that your students are learning and your students are safe and your staff has everything that they need uh, to be able to give the education they need to the children. When your um, objectives are clear and you know that you're there based on the will of the people, you look past party. Now, as you know, uh, most elections at the local level in California anyway, school board, water board, city councils, county supervisors, judges, of course, all of these are nonpartisan seats. But as you're well aware, things can get political even at the local level. Uh, like Tip O'Neill once said, all politics are local. And that includes things at the federal level and the state level, and of course, right here at the local level. So um, I'm honored to have uh, received the support of my Republican colleagues, 
Uh, they believe in me, trust in me, um, even though we have political differences and they know the things that I push for, you know, in my own personal time with my First Amendment rights. But we we coalesce around the idea that we're here for the children. We're here for the people, our youngest residents in Huntington Beach. Uh, one of the other things that Dom had mentioned is, and I think she did, uh, talked about the 25 years or over 20 years service that I have. And so um, what I am first and foremost is I'm a classroom teacher. So I happen to be a sixth grade teacher also, besides being the school board president here in Orange County, I am a sixth grade teacher in LA County, in Southeast Los Angeles County in a place called Cerritos. It's just north of Long Beach, if you're familiar with the city of Long Beach. Um, and so I have been working as a teacher. I'm in my 26th year and I have taught multiple things. And so this year and for the past 16 years, I've been teaching in the GATE program. In California, GATE stands for Gifted and Talented Education. So I'm a GATE teacher. And I teach all varying uh, capacities. So kids that may be in special education, kids that are in English language learner program on, and gate program. And they're in a, a heterogeneous group in my classroom. So we have varying abil abilities, not just with academics, but with language as well. Most of my students are first-generation Americans or they are uh, immigrants themselves. And so what's fascinating about that is I like to say, boys and girls, you're like the United Nations here in my classroom. And I'm so proud to have them with me. I have students that are from all over the world, students from China, students from Taiwan, Korea, Cambodia, um, Vietnam, from India, from Mexico, from Africa. I have four different nations in Africa represented in my classroom this year, kids from South America, kids that have Native American or First Peoples um, background as well. And so it is uh, fascinating to have that kind of mix of folks, the patchwork that makes up America. And the one thing that they all have in common is that they're proud to be Americans. And one of the things that we do every single morning in my classroom is we all rise to say the Pledge of Allegiance. And it's something that I've been working on with the children for 25 years. I've never missed a day of having the kids recite the pledge because I want them to know that it's a common uh, feeling for the love of our country while also loving and respecting the nations that we all come from, that we hail from, or that our parents or our grandparents are from. And one of the most um, interesting things actually about uh, learning civics in California is that civics is intertwined into every single subject, believe it or not. So we have uh, core subjects that are integrated across the curriculum. And specifically in social studies, children learn civics starting in kindergarten when they learn about their community. So they start out learning about what is a neighborhood and they learn about uh, what then is a city um, and then what is a county and what is the state and what is the nation, of course. And at kinder level, we really focus on the community and who's in our community, who serves our community, the police and the fire department and our mail carriers and our teachers and our nurses and doctors and our advocates and all the folks that work in the grocery store, everybody in our community. And as we progress up through the grades, it becomes progressively more complex. And so by the time a student is in third grade, they study local city government. 
So I know this not only because I'm a California teacher, but because I have two children in California public schools. I have a son who's now in fifth grade, and I have a son who's a senior in high school at Huntington Beach High School. And so my little son, Max, uh, when he was in third grade, and my older son, Tony, when he was in third grade, learned about our local city government at the Huntington Beach Civic Center, right at City Hall. And they got to learn about who is the mayor, what's the city council, what are the laws for the city? They're called ordinances. And so the children got to take a field trip to the city hall. They also got to take a field trip to the fire station. And they got to learn about what are some of the city services, like the police and fire. And they got to learn about city pioneers. So they learned about all the city leaders in Huntington Beach and even pre-Huntington Beach in the Ocean View School District, because in fact, we were the only governmental agency in Huntington Beach from 1874. There was no Huntington Beach, but there was an Ocean View School District, and we ran a one-room schoolhouse right on the corner of Beach Boulevard and Smeltzer Avenue, which is now called Edinger. And those were the names of actually mayors from Santa Ana. If you've ever heard of the city of Santa Ana, you might be familiar with some of these old time leaders, Mr. Warner, Mr. Wintersburg, Mr. Smeltzer, um, and of course, you know, the famous uh, Highway 39, Beach Boulevard. So we ran a school on the corner of Beach and Smeltzer uh, from 1874 all the way to 1910. And then we moved the street, the school down the street to Beach and Warner and opened up that school in 1911 after the kids came back from Christmas vacation. And that school functioned all the way till 1983. And in that time, the school district, the superintendent and school board purchased up to 25 school sites. And we still have all of those school sites in our portfolio. We have never sold any of them. And even the ones that have been closed for students are now leased out. So we don't sell any property in Huntington Beach. We keep it all in the taxpayer's portfolio. And I'm very proud of that because once you sell uh, public land, there's no getting it back. So getting back to what you learn in school and civics in our social studies classes in California, in fourth grade, you learn about the government of California. So you learn about your governor and you learn about the assembly and the Senate and the judicial branch. So you start learning about the tripartite government, the three branches of government, which is your executive branch, your legislative branch, and your judicial branch. Also in the fourth grade, you learn about the missionization of native peoples here in California. And I'm proud to say that in California, we've updated our curriculum to make sure that uh, students know the truth about missionized people here in California and uh, the great um, suffering that they um, felt at the hands of the colonizers, the Spanish at the time. Um, and also about how people were forced through integration into California and um, into speaking Spanish. Um, I'm, you probably have heard about the missionization of California peoples. So after that, we then in fifth grade go to American history. And it starts out with the 13 colonies and moves into, you know, talking about the revolution, um, how the American patriots threw out those redcoats and how we become a young nation. And then we go through um, to the various stages of industrialization, the Civil War, of course, slavery, reconstruction, and then 
they get to the sixth grade, which is where I come in. So I'm a sixth grade teacher. And in California, sixth and seventh grade are ancient civilizations studies. However, even though we may be on the other side of the world learning about Mesopotamia and the great civilizations and Africa, especially those of Egypt and in Central Africa, we also visit places like what is now Israel. And we talk about the Hebrews and how they're the progenitors of modern and ancient or concepts of democracy in ancient times that lead to modern democracy and how the Greeks then pick up with the concept of representative democracy then coming out of um, um, democracy of the few actually uh, coming out of democracy of the many where you could go as a regular citizen and participate in direct democracy. And what that meant at the time was that only male non-slave landowners could vote. And you would go to the top, to the Acropolis, and you would participate at the Agora, and you would actually propose votes. You would propose legislation. And then there would be a council that would vote. Now, it was called direct democracy, but I would say as a woman, it was anything but because women were, women were cut out of that. Anyone that wasn't a citizen and to be a citizen, both your parents had to be citizens and you had to be a free person. So many people in society were actually cut out of the democratic, democratic process in ancient Greece. Although, of course, you know, we thank uh, those who came before us who thought of these concepts um, they were very limited in democracy or in democratic ideals. We then move on to the ancient Romans. And we talk first about the Republic, not the empire, because the empire was anything but democratic. But before the empire, there was the Republic. And the Republic was founded on the concept that I mentioned earlier, the tripartite government where you had two consuls that functioned as the executive branch, where you had a legislative branch that existed of the patricians and the plebeians. And then you had a system uh, that was judicial in nature with the judges. And this government functioned for some time and was more democratic, let's say, than what we had seen in ancient Greece. And our modern United States Republic, our representative Republic comes, was born out of the Roman Republic. And so we, there are a lot of similarities. Um, one of the things that I wanted to do is share with you what an actual lesson looks like in a California school in a sixth grade class. And I have brought up a couple of things on my uh, from my textbook. So all teachers in California teach not only from a textbook, but from an online textbook. And I'd like to share that with you just so you can kind of see what kids are actually learning today. Because I get a lot of questions actually when I'm running for city council now. And yesterday I was at a meet and greet. And one of the great questions I got from one of the um, participants was, do you teach civics in school anymore? And I said, of course we do. And then I thought, maybe I shouldn't answer it that way. 
because really residents are truly unaware. And I wanna tell you, yes, in California anyway, we pride ourselves on teaching physics at every single grade level. And it's intertwined in social studies, in language arts, in math, and even in science. And so I would say that I'm very proud of that. And when I answered uh, this constituent, I explained that in California, I think we are very progressive in doing that. And we are carrying on the great um, uh, legacy of teaching civics in the United States of America and showing children where it comes from, not just saying stand up and recite the pledge because you have to, but why it's important, why it's important to have pride in your nation and have pride in the fact that this country does afford us the right to vote, the right to free speech and other uh, um, rights in our country. And so um, before I get to showing you the lesson, I do wanna give you just a tiny bit more background on myself and why I always talk about why I'm, I'm proud to be an American. I am the granddaughter of immigrants. Um, all of my family are uh, primarily from Southern Europe. Uh, my mother is Sicilian, she's Italian, and um, she's also half Hungarian Jew, and her relatives had escaped, uh, you know, the Holocaust. And so I know what it feels like uh, having generational trauma from those experiences from my family members. Um, my father is also half Italian, and his grandmother was from Rome. Yes, from the real city of Rome, Italy. And the talk in Italian families about how we are so proud of being the progenitors and the creators of what becomes modern democracy. It's very, I know you probably know Italians are very proud people. We're also really proud of the fact that uh, we had something to do with what uh, democracy is like in the world uh, today. Uh, my father is also, um, he's a quarter Irish. So yes, I'm Irish as well. That's why my last name is Clayton. Um, and my father's grandmother was from Holland. So I'm a little Dutch as well. So I'm kind of like the European Union somehow with a little African blood as well. My mother being African, uh, being a Sicilian uh, individual. Um, and so we're really proud people. Um, we feel like we're people of the world. And I happen to be an Italian citizen as well. And I know in Italy, um, Things are run differently. It's a parliamentary system, but they believe in democracy as well. But nothing, nothing can beat American democracy, especially when it comes to freedom of speech. And I teach that to my students every day. You have the right to criticize. You have the right to have your opinion. We may not agree, but we're still Americans. And that's what's important. So I'm going to share my screen. I'm going to pull up what the beginning of a lesson looks like in a California social studies book, a lesson on Roman democracy. So let me pull up my screen and hopefully this works. Uh, let me share screen. And, and this is exciting for us. What an interesting treat, everyone, for Gina, an educator, again, a president of our uh, one of our school districts here in Huntington to be sharing this with us. So while she's pulling that up, really, if you, if you want to make sure you're taking a look at what she's going to share with us, this is the real lessons. So, you know, that we are sharing with our children. So, Gina, wonderful. Okay, so I won't take you through all the steps because there's 
teachers have like five steps just to get to the screen, but I've gotten really quick at it. So I'm on sort of the, you click in, what you do is you click on a, a textbook publisher called Savas, you click on social studies, then you click on the chapter you want, you click on the lesson. So I'm now at uh, what is called topic eight in lesson two. And lesson two is about government of the Republic. And so the Roman Republic was a unique system of government that lasted for 500 years. It led the Roman people from humble origins to conquest of the Mediterranean world. And actually what I can do is, and hopefully this won't echo, but this is what a little like soundbite I might play. Lesson two, government of the Republic. The Roman Republic was a unique system of government that lasted for 500 years. It led the Roman people from humble origins to conquest of the Mediterranean world. Get ready to read. Start up. Examine the painting of Cicero addressing Roman senators. Write one prediction about how the Roman Senate may be similar to the United States Senate and one prediction of how it was different. Guiding questions. Why and how was power divided among different groups in the Roman Republic? How did the Romans view the concept of citizenship? How did the Roman Republic function? What influence did the Roman Republic have on later governments? Vocabulary. Constitution. Veto. Magistrate. Toga. Consul. Academic vocabulary, violate, policy. Okay, so there you have it. That's um, something that we would share with the students and then come back and kind of discuss what we're going to be doing in the lesson. And then, of course, we would get into textbook pages and we go through vocabulary. And we even have um, a very short video. I'm going to show that to you. And then I would hope that I could take some questions about uh, what it is that I do on a school board, because I kind of didn't even get into that. I kind of focused on what it's like to be a teacher. But I thought, you know, when's the last time you were in public school? And do you remember what you were taught in sixth grade? So um, I hope you liked it. Let me just quickly play this video and then I will uh, pass it back to Richard and Don. You'd think it would be easy for me to talk about what it took to be a citizen of the Roman Republic. You'd think it would simply be a matter of listing the requirements and responsibilities as we did when we discussed citizenship in Athens. Here's the problem. The idea of Roman citizenship changed over the centuries. Roman citizenship didn't exist under the rule of the Etruscans who had conquered Rome sometime before 600 BCE. In 509 BCE, after nearly a century of Etruscan rule, leading Roman aristocrats overthrew the king and founded the Republic, which brings us to the first definition of a Roman citizen. All males over the age of 15 who were descended from the original tribes of Rome became citizens. Women, slaves, and foreigners could not be citizens. Citizens distinguished themselves from non-citizens by wearing togas. Most togas were made of white cloth. Women, slaves, and foreigners were not allowed to wear togas. There were two classes of citizens the patricians and the plebeians. The patricians came from the oldest Roman families and were often wealthy. 
At first, the patricians controlled the Roman government. Most citizens, however, were plebeians. They came from less important families. Some plebeians were wealthy, most were farmers and artisans. As is often the case throughout history, the common citizens grew tired of the aristocrats having all the power. So the plebeians forced the patricians to let them hold positions in the government. And do you know how they got their way? They went on strike. It was during a war and the plebeians just left Rome and sat down on a nearby hill. Rome needed the plebeians to help fight. They couldn't win a battle without them. Finally, the patricians had to give in. As I said earlier, the idea of Roman citizenship changed over the centuries. First, enslaved males who were granted freedom were allowed to become full citizens. Later, around 90 BCE, Rome gave the rights of citizenship to non-Roman allies of the Republic. And finally, around 212 CE, all free people of the Roman Empire could become citizens. So that sums up how the requirements for citizenship changed in the Roman Empire. Now, can you list the responsibilities of the Roman citizen? So, I mean, that's what we do on a daily basis in my classroom for social studies. As you can see, I have help from that teacher who gives us a little taste of the lesson of what they're going to learn and gives them some kind of visuals. And then I get into and show them visuals and I expand upon what she says. So each of the um, lessons is led by a teacher. Um, she and another uh, teacher give us those uh, little tastes of what goes on uh, in the lesson. And it's really great. It is amazing. I see that, um, Dom. It is amazing um, because it really, uh, I think, um, ties into what kids like to see, which are visuals. Kids love videos. Kids like to hear from others. And so it really keeps the lesson diversified. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's a great, great um, textbook. It's a great adoption. And I'm really proud of the state of California for doing the best to bring civics to every single student at every single grade level in our state. 